Please be advised, the Before After podcast can discuss triggering topics that may cause emotional distress. Discretion is advised. Hello, 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 and welcome again to another session of the Before After Podcast. This is Christy Danielle, aka The Talk Lady. I want you to subscribe, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's topic, um, actually, I decided to talk about this because so many people um, in my TikTok videos, which I appreciate all of my TikTok followers, all of my social media followers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. One of the main things, especially on TikTok, that a lot of people commented that they wanted me to to discuss and touch bases on were narcissistic partners and parents. And so, yeah, that's the name of this session today. Narcissistic partners and parents. Um, I you heard me say it a thousand times I'm a firm believer out of 100% of your healing process 90% is awareness the rest of the 10% is you making a decision on the awareness I have so many clients when let me take that back I have some clients that all they needed to heal was the awareness it's like once the light bulb went off on why things happen why I mean the awareness it, it did it for them that I do have partner and some uh, clients, majority of clients, which is completely fine. After the awareness, we still need strategies to get out of some certain ways of thinking. But in general, how can we apply the strategies or become better if we aren't even aware of when we're doing the behaviors and what the behaviors are? So, not out of ninety percent, out of one hundred percent of your healing process, ninety percent is awareness. The rest of the ten percent is you making a decision on the awareness. So, this today's episode or session, like I said, is called narcissistic partners and parents, and. I, of course, you guys heard the statement that it may cause triggering. You know, we play that before every episode now, but I just want to say this session may be very triggering. Um, just had to put that out there. Um, so here's, here's the big thing. This will actually be, um, we'll discuss narcissism and I'm sure it's such a big word now. Everybody knows it right everybody's calling each other narcissists I think it's very important to talk about this because not everybody is a narcissist and actually who we think are great people are actually the narcissists so I've been seeing a lot we've been labeling the wrong people narcissists Uh, you know we've been doing that wrongly but um so I just want to really I want to start off by saying this narcissists they play chess while we play checkers they plot and they plan and they plot and they plan how they're going to hurt you and and, and I just want us to realize that when I do uh, narcissistic abuse recovery with clients who were in uh, either narcissistic abusive relationships or they had parents who were um, who were narcissists or had narcissistic tendencies I always say they when they came out of it they did not know the sky from the trees that's metaphorically speaking but what I'm saying what I'm saying is they were so unsure of everything it made them question themselves it made them question I mean I literally in the sessions we have to literally get out a piece of paper and I say write down what literally happened 
this so they can see you're not crazy for thinking and feeling what you've been thinking and feeling and you're not crazy you you've been seeing things what you've been seeing you've been correct and so um my job as a therapist when I know I have a client in narcissistic abuse recovery is to get them back to reality the whole function of the narcissist whether they're the parent or the partner the whole function of the of the narcissist is for your reality to become whatever they want it to become if they say like for instance if you have a partner or a parent um who um have those tendencies they will say something about your character and then you actually start to believe that that's your character i have i'm telling you the number one telltale sign um, they come in and they say, am I a narcissist? Am I a narcissist? My clients, am I a narcissist? Am I a narcissist? I said, the fact that you have to ask whether you're a narcissist or not, that's first thing. Uh, but the second thing is you think you're the narcissist because the narcissist is telling you what you are. He, they're telling you you're manipulative, but they're manipulative. Their, the whole goal is for you to adopt their identity. Okay, so I'm going to read and, and, and let me just put a disclaimer. This is not I'm not reading this for you to diagnose other people, but it, it brings more into the conversation. Okay, so DSM five criteria. Okay, um, let me just read this part. Um, a pervasive pattern of grandiosity, uh, fantasy and behavior, need for admiration, lack of empathy, beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts as indicated by five or more of the following. So we have to take five or more of the following. And of course, we have to, what is the frequency? How often, um, you know, and then also just a side note, there is a difference between having narcissistic characteristics and narcissistic personality disorder. And this is in general when it comes to mental illness and mental health. When we know it's a diagnosis, when it's, it's invading different aspects of the person's life. Like for instance, I have clients with borderline characteristics borderline personality disorder characteristics but they're still able to go to work they're able to keep a job if it was full-blown borderline personality disorder they change jobs a lot there are issues when they go out see how it's invading it's not necessarily as private now one thing about narcissists though you have a covert and overt you know so some of them can cover up really well and then the only person that sees it is the person closest to them and then everybody looks at you like you're the crazy one because you're like no this is not who they really are but they're so charming to everybody they can't even believe it and now you're the crazy one this is what i want you to realize before i read off these uh criteria when dealing with the narcissist whether it's a parent or a partner or anybody in your life you have to this is what I tell clients you have to accept being the bad guy yes you have to accept that you that you're you're wrong trying to convince a narcissist that they're the ones with the issue you're wasting your time you have to just settle it in your heart and I have clients what, what we say I'm gonna stick beside them I have some clients that 
that say, you know what, I'm not leaving this person. And I get it. That's very common when it comes to uh, abuse style relationships. But I, we do discuss if this person never changes, because I, 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 I got to meet them where they are. I don't make the decisions for them. So I meet them where they are. And then I say, okay, well, then we have to settle it that you'll always be the bad guy and you have to settle it that you'll always be wrong you'll be the wrong one meaning if you you could have proof after proof after proof that the that your partner who has the narcissistic tendencies or the parent or whatever you could have proof after proof after proof after proof that they are you know wrong is two left shoes it does not matter to them, you'll always be wrong. You'll be the bad guy. You have to settle it. You're just going to have to settle it in your heart. Um, I just, uh, some may disagree, but I'm, because how, how else would you convince? And if you have other strategies, please let me know. <laughs> but uh, so to speak. So what I do is if they desire to remain in the relationship or connected to that person, what can we work with? But I do tell them, as long as the abuse continues, we'll only reach a certain place. If that, if we ever reach that. So the DSM criteria, um, first thing, there are nine of them. Uh, and remember, you have to have five of them. Has a grandiose sense of self-importance. So meeting the example that gave exaggerates achievements and talents expect to be recognized as superior without uh, commensurate uh, achievement. Um, so basically... I, I just want to, that grandiose sense of self-importance. That's very egocentric. I'm the best. I'm larger than life. Nobody can stop me. Uh, did you see what I did? Talk about it over and over again. I did this and I did that. You, that's very minimal, uh, meaning minimal example or a small example. But that is one. Uh, the second criteria is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. I'm not talking about the person who's sitting and daydreaming about being rich and famous. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh, preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success. It's, they're very power driven. Um, they're very status driven. Uh, so consumed with being the best. So consumed with that I am the best. Uh, so consumed with what will make me the best. What do I need to do? I mean, we're talking about preoccupied with that. Um, and then also uh, the third criteria believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should be or should associate with other special or high status people or institutions. Um, I believe uh, I cannot remember, but there was this concept. Uh, it was done at the Ivy League school. I learned about this in high school where uh, the concept was a group of high IQ people. Is it the racehorse theory? I don't know. But a, a group of high IQ people said, guess what? We're only going to we're only going to reproduce with uh, with other high IQ people. And we'll create a new nation of only high IQ people. Well, we all know statistics that created a bell curve because at first it was like, oh, high IQ, high IQ. And then ap after that, slowly, it just went back down to average. So, of course, that was a unsuccessful tactic. But it's that mindset. I only can connect with other people of this status, of this frequency, of this place. Other people are beneath me. Um, 
why didn't they invite me to so-and-so do they know who I am something like that uh number four requires excessive admiration that kind of flows uh with one and two but requires excessive admiration number five has a sense of entitlement an example would be unreasonable expectations of especially favorable treatment uh, or automatic compliance with his or her expectations um and so keyword entitlement key example unreasonable expectation or you should automatically do what I say because I know what's best. You don't know what's best. I know what is, what's best. I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to train you. In couples therapy, if one of the partners um, have NPD or uh, narcissistic personality disorder, or if they just have the characteristics, I do often hear the narcissistic person, I do often hear them say, I know what's best until you get right and until you work for this because I'm already doing my portion. Until you do right, then we ain't going nowhere. This, this you know, and, and I understand there is a difference between that. That's different from them saying look this makes me feel safe until you work on this but at the same time it's no for them it's no accountability and lack of empathy i am the end all be all i know i'm right um number six is interpersonally exploitive takes advantage of others to achieve his or her own ends up oh, exploitive i mean the exploitation is real the example, like I said, takes advantage of others to achieve his or her own ends. So, I mean, we even see that higher up in some companies. Take advantages, take advantage of uh, customers, of employees, uh, just to move higher up, just to maintain this status. Um, the exploitation is so abusive. abusive. It, it's so humiliating for the person who's being exploited. You know, I you know have heard stories where the narcissistic partner or parent will put the person or even friend will put the person on blast just to make them say you know i'm gonna give you an example when you and your friend or so-called friend out at dinner in front of people and they just putting you out there making jokes about you telling personal stuff but they say i was just playing but see then they call you crazy for getting upset they actually call you crazy because you responded accordingly. See, that's what a narcissist, that's what they do. You respond how any human being would respond, but then they call you crazy or childish or immature. My goodness. Lacks empathy. We talked about that. That was number seven. Um, is unwilling to recognize or identify the feelings and needs of others. Remember, egocentric is all about me. I often say um, behind every narcissistic personality disorder is a super fragile ego. And we are just trying to protect and satisfy that. And I'll do anything to keep that intact. Number eight is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of him or her self-explanatory and then number nine shows arrogant haughty behaviors or attitudes so that's in general the criteria uh that we use now that was not used to for you to diagnose yourself or to diagnose other people but i'm just saying this is the perspective because it is a bit frustrating and irritating when you see people who actually have <laughs> um they are calling people narcissists i'm like no nah. like one client she's like i'm a narcissist i'm a narcissist i said no you're not a narcissist you're just very hurt you're not a narcissist you're bitter when i say bitter i mean they hurt you now you're trying to get back at them so yeah you you coming off manipulative and lying and trying to set them up but you just want you want revenge 
Now, if we don't heal from that, I could see that turning in to narcissistic traits. But I just so this is the question that I want you to ask if you thinking you're a narcissist. Am I a narcissist or am I super bitter? Bitter, B-I-T-T-E-R. Am I a narcissist or am I bitter? Just look at that. Because sometimes, and that just frees some clients up when I say that. Okay, so um, with that being said, I, I want us to know that the mind games, of course, we all know with narcissists, they are very real. They sometimes plan out how they're going to hurt you. I have had clients with NPD. These are some of the things that they say word for word. I did this because I knew they was going to respond that way. It is a thrill, a, a bit of a sadistic, but it is a thrill to see the person hurting, but it's they're getting on top of the person. Um, so this is why I say um, it, the way to defeat a narcissist, don't even get in the ring with them. Don't get in the ring with them. Don't play the game. Don't try to argue. Don't try. And then because when you do that, and I've seen it in couples therapy, um, where when one of the partners were a narcissist, the first session, the narcissist was smiling. Oh, so friendly. And then the person who was being abused was very aggressive. But I'm, I like to get the full story. Uh-uh. I'm making no judgments off the first session. I need a couple sessions about three four <laughs> you know um and it's very frustrating because the person who is being abused the narcissist set them up to look like uh, the evil person and so I'm often asking in the sessions as a therapist what was your interpretation of that why would you say or, or you know I would say this to the narcissist what's your interpretation of the actions why do you think they're saying this where's the proof you know how do you respond when you get upset um you know things like that I mean I can try to get the best that I can and for the persons who upset I ask I also investigate and once I investigate why they're upset I'm like oh they're not the abusive one they just really tired and really upset <laughs> so um so the mind games um like I said they play chess while we play uh checkers so I actually um saw something uh I forgot who posted it on uh uh Facebook and I'm sorry I, I I'm sorry y'all I should have remembered your name um so I'm gonna just read some names and some definitions Gaslighting. Gaslighting is a manipulation tactic in which a person, in order to gain um, uh, more power or makes the victim question their own reality or sanity. So someone, this is not my work, uh, but someone may uh, say this. Someone trying to gaslight you may say uh, they may tell blatant lies to or about you or to others deny they ever said or did something even though you have proof that's what we talked about like you're sitting here saying yes you did do this yes you did do this and the person is like no I didn't know and the proof and it makes you feel like it'll it'll make you question even the proof that you know you are presenting um make you question your own reality uh, that's why when you come out, you don't know the difference between the sky and the trees. You know, you just like what you so you second guess everything. And I have clients say, I never used to be this way. Um, 
Use what is near and dear uh, to you as ammunition. Throw in positive reinforcement to confuse you. Oh, that's a big one. But my goodness, you don't know what you're going to get. I'm just going to, you don't know what you're going to get. And and that contributes to hypervigilance. But we'll talk about that in part two. Use this confusion to weak you. Try to align people against you. Tell you others tell you or others that you are crazy tell you everyone else is a liar so that's gaslighting next is love bombing and love bombing is a manipulation tactic that happens when someone overwhelms you with affection adoration gifts and love in order to gain control of your behaviors a person who love bombs they will lavish you with gifts um, and then in parentheses, whoever I, I'm going to find out who made this because this was just so spot on. And parentheses, they have this often includes over the top gestures such as flowers, jewelry, even trips to the point of this makes you feel as if you owe them something. That's love bombing. Ideal that you're doing all of this stuff that they, they're doing all of this stuff, giving you all this stuff. They'll build you up. But it's only to build you up to knock you down. That's what we call, especially with borderline personality disorder, we call it idealization and devaluation. Ideal, ideal, on pedestal, they're everything. After, I mean, after a while, devaluation, you just knocked down. So they're only flattering you and doing these things to only build you up to suck you in because the more they suck you in, the more they can hurt you. Uh, give you constant praise and adoration. Uh, you're the only person I want to spend my life with, was an example. There's... Uh, you know, things like that. Um, I love everything about you. You know, things like that. Um, and then want to be in constant communication with you. And it says love bombing can take the form of constant communication, texting, calling, messaging over social media all day long. Then they make you feel bad when you try to place boundaries. Toxic people and unhealed people hate boundaries they hate it they have and they'll make you feel bad for having them i I said this in season one and i truly believe this bishop antoine jackson he said you want to know if somebody is for you choose you in front of them and watch them respond if i choose me and you get upset with me choosing me and i'm not talking about me being selfish i'm talking about i'm choosing me meaning i'm staying true to my boundaries I don't care who you are. And if you have an issue with that, you don't get to go with me in my new healed place. Uh, Guilt tripping, that's self-explanatory. This is another tactic they do. Um, They will guilt trip you. They'll point out their own efforts and hard work to make you feel as if you've fallen short. Uh, The sarcasm and passive aggressiveness in this is real. showing no interest in doing anything to improve the situation themselves Uh, oftentimes you feel like you're the messed up broken one in the relationship or whether it's a parental child whether it's friend friend or intimate relationship you feel like you the broke you're the broken and messed up one and they are just they can do no wrong Okay. Um, Nagging. Nagging is when a person tries to manipulate you into feeling bad about yourself. Nagging happens in a few different ways. They give backhand compliments. Um, The example they say, well, don't you look fabulous? I would never be brave enough to wear my hair like that with your face shape. See that? Uh. (sighs) They're always just joking when you call them on it. They insult you under the guise of constructive criticism. Then they say, you just can't handle the truth. No, you, come on. 
um, emotional blackmail. And it says an emotional blackmail is a dysfunctional form of manipulation that people use to place demands and threaten victims to get what they want. The undertone of the emotional blackmail is if you don't do what I want, uh, uh, when I want, you will suffer. I've even seen narcissists go to say, I'm going a, I'm to a kill myself. I'm going to do, then you feel, but what well, I got, I, it's going to be my fault if they do that. If they threaten that, call the behavioral health hotline, hello. <laughs> or, uh, you know, call their family members. Create a pathway. Um, and when I say create a, listen, hey, call the police. This is what they say I'm doing, and you move forward. So um, I just wanted to voice those things. Um, but I think what's going to help you, and we talked about this. I think I touched bases on this with the session when I did with Amanda Andrews about moving past a breakup or divorce. You have to go off of facts only. Because they, the narcissist, is, is they're training you to do their abuse for them. Yes. So you have to go off facts only. The own, the They pull you in by saying something about your character and you're going to go crazy trying to prove to them you're not that. So if they say something about you or a situation, you have to go off facts only for you, not to prove to them, but facts only. So when clients say something and then I know that the partner is proven, we had some sessions and all that. And so the partner or they had a narcissistic parent, I'm saying, well, what are the facts? Because they'll say, well, they said this and, you know, I, I, I do realize that I do do this. And I say, OK, where's the proof? Give me the example that they said that. And they say, well, this happened, this happened. And I ask for the factual, like anybody can observe it and see it, not the emotional interpretation. And emotional interpretation is uh, they looked at me and they looked angry. That's emotional interpretation. It could be they looked at me, but an objective interpretation, facts only would be they looked at me, they they did not smile. They look, they look straight at me. It was a blank expression. See, that's factual, objective uh, interpretation. And so, wh- what I have those clients do is I say, look at the facts. And when you look, and then so then I spit the facts back out at them, and I say, mm, looking at these facts, what do you think? They was like, I didn't do anything wrong. And I said, exactly. So as you go off of facts, it'll get on top of the insecurity and you questioning yourself. This is a continual work. This this is a continual work. Narcissists thrive off of shame and guilt. They thrive off of shame and guilt. So when we are talking about shame and guilt, um, and and like I said, they'll train you to do it for it. Before you know it, you mess up, you beating yourself up all You never used to be that way. I have clients that I used to be so outgoing, so this, so that. Now I'm like, why did I mess up? Why did I do this? That's, That's shame and guilt. If they can get you to feel shame and guilty about you or a situation or something you're doing, then that will give them the key to do whatever they want to do with you shame and guilt and remember um shame is associated with the reasoning portion of your brain 
because you're ruminating over it over and over again. You're shamed. You're thinking about it. This is your thought process. And so if you feel shame and guilty about something, that's going to, of course, that's going to affect your reasoning on things. And when that affects your reasoning on things, trust me, you'll start dropping your goals. You won't be um, doing things for your career or for your personal life or for your mental health because it's like it freezes you I can't even describe it so what help what I do with clients is I help them see the facts and then also you know I I ask them in the session you know I say okay let's pull out this DSM and I want you to say yes or no whether you do these things or not and I read the DSM the same thing I did earlier and then I say I want you I say well and I'm looking, they say, no, nah, that ain't me. See, that's facts. But then they'll say, but that sure sound like my partner or my mom or my dad, <laughs> big brother, big sister, whoever. So um, what I do is I train clients to go off of facts. And then when you go off of facts, then you begin to see who's the real culprit. So one of the examples I did on social media, I did a a Wizard of Oz example. And it was the witch and the monkeys looking into the cauldron and it was a picture of Dorothy. And I said, what the narcissist likes to do, they'll say, you are the witch, they are Dorothy, and then the monkeys, the flying monkeys are whoever they also pin against you. But in reality, your Dorothy, they're the witch, and the flying monkeys are still the flying monkeys. So you not only need to be watchful for the witch, but you need to be watchful for the flying monkeys as well. But we, we got to take into consideration, the flying monkeys are also being abused and manipulated by the narcissist. But when you're trying to heal, you need to have boundaries on all of them. And Uh, This is why I also do a circle boundary exercise because by the time we get to your inner circle, if you do have people in your inner circle or close to your inner circle, I'll say we'll use those people to reorient you back to reality. These are the people that if you're having issues with or difficulty seeing the facts versus what the narcissist is saying, because you're not in your reality, you're in the narcissist reality. You are whatever they say you are. That's how they do it. So what you do is you go to your inner circle or people close to your circle. And then, you know, they will reorient you back to reality. They will say, hey, no, let look at this. This is this is not what it is. You know, I always tell clients we can incorporate your inner circle in sessions. We crack up. We call them guinea pigs. But you can incorporate your inner circle. I believe I gave this example first season. Um, but what I love about the wilderness tabernacle, when uh, the children of Israel, uh, when they were making the kior, the wash basin, uh, what they it was of course a wash basin up oh yeah they go in it was filled with water and they washed and they saw a reflection and all of that and but also God told the women to donate their mirrors to the wash basin it was a completely reflective part of the wilderness tabernacle and so but those women used those mirrors for when they were to look at themselves and make sure they were put together when their husbands returned from war. 
This is powerful because if I donated my mirror, who's going to be my mirror to let me know what I look like in reality? What I really need to work on or how beautiful I am. The other women in the camp, they became their mirrors. Same process with your inner circle. Let them be your mirrors. Hey, you know, my partner, girlfriend, boyfriend said this about, is this, is this true? You can bounce back the facts with them. So I just really wanted to set the ground for this, for the part two of, of narcissistic partners and parents. When it comes to narcissistic parents, I, I just have to say this, and this is going to be also, uh, this topic will be a spinoff into one of the later topics that I'll be recording. Um, and it's called emotional incest, uh, women who emotionally date their sons. And I see fathers doing it with their daughters, not as prominent though. Um, not as much, but um, emotional incest um, the woman makes her son become her husband. That it's only for her benefit. May not be full NPD. The, the mom may not have full NPD. The dad may not have full NPD. However, it is a characteristic of it because narcissistic mothers create baby husbands meaning when the husband grows up he'll still be a son i mean when the son grows up and becomes a husband he'll still be a little boy in the inside that's what i mean so it it really interrupts the dynamic even in couples therapy and we, we'll talk about that but when there is a narcissistic parent and, and also it shows up with fathers the daughter i mean the daughter can't do no wrong the, the mom or the stepmom it, trying to tell the dad no your, your daughter's doing this she can't do no wrong she interferes in the relationship so narcissistic mothers create very ego driven sons narcissistic fathers create ego driven daughters um and so I'm I'm just telling you I see it in the sessions and so the parent will only praise you if it makes them look good they're often hypercritical you call, but you swear you just up here just I'm very I'm very orderly I'm very, yes that could be a personality you know uh, that could just be your personality you're very orderly very you like to stay on top of things but sometimes uh, w- what I've seen is uh, when you have a hypercritical parent you have a very um, hyper child like many hypersensitive they can when I say sensitive I mean like they pay attention and spot everything they're overthinkers they're anxious they feel like they can't do anything right that is very common the parent may come up and say a comment we could all be talking about something else and the parent may say something completely off the wall or something not even going along with the topic and they may say something about your character the way you look why do that why do that because it's a mind game and it's to keep you lower um so i mean i've even seen it with mothers and like again you just listen to the episode emotional incest i'll be recording that soon but with the mothers i mean even on wedding day he'll always be mine 
No, sweetie, that he's getting married. That's his wife. He's, he's his wife. You know, so I, I've seen it. So narcissistic parents create hypervigilant adults. The child grows up and becomes very hypervigilant. And, and often what I see is poor emotional control or like no emotions at all. Remember when you're hurting, you're on either end of the spectrum. So, and you know, biblically, you know, a lot of people will bring up this scripture. They'll say, uh, got to honor your mother and father. There is a difference between honoring your mother and father and honoring the anointing and the call that God gave on you. Even if you're not a believer, there is a difference between honoring your parents and versus you honoring your purpose in life because you will end up in regret and in resentment if you continue to live life just to please the narcissistic parent and partner either or or friend i've seen them all i've seen them all i've had clients i'm like why your friends say that but that is true so i wanted to use this portion to give a bit of a background and some of you probably already knew this but it's it's still good to just because it creates a picture for what we're going to talk about and so the part two of this will be crisis versus discomfort because what your mind is so all over the place you don't know the difference between crisis or discomfort everything the moment a, a little bit of discomfort you going on the way extreme like, I, I have to tell some clients, they be like, this is a crisis. This, is this really a crisis or you just don't like what's going on? It's not a crisis. It's a discomfort. And so we have to create this mental picture. And I literally have to sit And so that may be something you want to do. What is a crisis? It'll look like this, 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 this. What is a discomfort? It'll look like this, 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 this. So that's going to be the next show crisis versus discomfort we'll get a bit into hypervigilance and all of that um but i just want us to just get this good background on npd not everybody is a narcissist <laughs> i can't explain that enough. not if we need to decipher is this person a narcissist or are they really hurt but the really hurt person can turn into a narcissist but I mean, to be honest, it's not our job to gauge where the person is. However, but sometimes figuring that out does help the clients process through. Um, so listen, if you have questions, email me before after counseling at gmail.com. I want you to subscribe. I want you to send this podcast to someone you think it would be beneficial. Um, but yeah, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcast. Okay. And just remember, who were you before the trauma?